Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Part-Time Genius, a production of iHeartRadio. Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango? So at our first week in college, I, I remember being in line for breakfast, and, and there was just this wall of amazing breakfast cereals. Oh, I remember this. <laughs> and we were, of course, away from our parents for the first time and being independent and responsible. And <laughs> so I piled my bowl high with Lucky Charms. I mean, I, I think it was Lucky Charms, but whatever was the most nutritious cereal out there. I love that when you were finally, like, free from the oversight of your parents, like, that was the first thing you <laughs> did to express your freedom was, like, get a big bowl of cereal. But yes, I do remember remember that big, awesome wall of cereal. Yeah, and, and the people we were with started making fun of me for uh, eating a kid cereal instead of muesli or whatever. And and right then, the star basketball recruit, Eldon Brand, walked up and got a bowl of the same thing. And it was just pure silence. <laughs> and I felt like such a trendsetter. <laughs> and I remember that that's when you became the most popular kid on campus. <laughs> no, not really. But uh, part of the reason I love breakfast cereal so much. And, you know, we used to have big cereal parties at Mental Floss where everyone would bring a box of their favorite cereal. But uh, there's just such a wonderful association with childhood and, and Saturday morning cartoons. And that's actually why we're talking about cereal today. Let's dig in. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangesh Hatikader. And the man on the other side of the soundproof glass, eating a big bowl of frosted mini-weeks. Good choice today <laughs> is our producer, Tristan McNeil. But today we're heading back to the grocery aisle for a closer look at all things cereal. You know, the most whimsical or nutritionally questionable at all of this at every part of a complete breakfast. And so we'll dig into the weird stories and surprising facts behind our favorite brands, as well as a few of the uh, lesser known breakfast cereals that time forgot. 
Then a little bit later, we'll be joined by Gabe Fonseca. He's a TV writer, and he spent more than a decade collecting childhood nostalgia in the form of vintage cereal boxes. It's a fascinating collection. Yeah, and he's also the host of this really fun YouTube series called Cereal Time, which is the series on the subject of breakfast cereal. I mean, he's been doing it for a couple of years now, so I'm super excited to just hear how he got started. Yeah, well, well, Gabe's among the most devout of cereal enthusiasts, but he's definitely not alone in this. I mean, lots of people love cereals. And in the 150 plus years since it came onto the market, cold breakfast cereal has become a staple for millions of people around the world. And, you know, strangely, this love affair got its start in the late 19th century kind of as an accident. You know, it was this invention of fundamentalist Christians who were seeking to promote a healthy, sin-free lifestyle. And much of this is, you know, stories that people have heard, but it's still pretty interesting. The the, uh, bland foods, as you know, like toasted corn and oats, where they were thought to help suppress sexual urges and prevent arousal. Mm -hmm. And so this thinking led to the creation of a few notable foods, including graham crackers, of course. But the one that really caught on with the public was cereal. So Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, the superintendent of a sanitarium in Battle Creek, Michigan, and his younger brother, well, they stumbled upon the recipe for what would ultimately become cornflakes. After allowing some of the cooked wheat to sit out for too long, the Kelloggs returned to find the wheat had gone stale. But rather than toss it out, as you might think they would, they decided to roll it out into thin flakes and then toast them. And the cornflakes were a big hit with their patients. So the Kellogg's decided to start marketing them to a broader public. Yeah, and as interesting as that early history is, it's pretty familiar by this point. So instead of going deep on sanitariums and uh, grape nuts, we're going to focus mostly on the second act of the cereal story. That's the period from about 1950 to the early 90s when marketing to children really took off and sugary cereals really began flooding grocery store aisles. Well, before we dive into that colorful history, I I thought we could take a quick look at the state of cereal today, you know, just by the numbers. And it's amazing how far cereal has come. Come from its early years as this niche product to the mammoth industry that it is now. So just looking at the U.S. market alone, the breakfast cereal industry now generates nearly $10 billion in annual revenue, and that's according to Mordor Intelligence. <laughs> did, did you say Mordor Intelligence? I did, yeah. <laughs> you know, like a hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of a jarring name if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, but it's just a coincidence, unfortunately. But you know, like I was saying, Americans lead the world in cereal consumption. It ranks fourth on the list of the top 10 packaged goods sold in the U.S., and 92% of American households buy a box of cereal at least once a year. And we're not not the only ones who love it. Canada, the UK, Australia, they all have cereal markets that rival the size of our own. And in recent years, cereal has also gained in places like China and India and Brazil. In fact, the breakfast cereal marketing industry rakes in about $35 billion in revenue each year from the foreign markets. So uh, when I took my kids to India last year, I, I remember waking up jet lagged the first day and they were already up watching cartoons and were wired on a bowl of chocos. Nice. Like, we didn't have chocos when I was a kid. Uh-huh. In all my years of going to India, though, we never ate breakfast cereals and we never ate in front of the TV. So it was almost jarring to see this American experience transplanted to India. But, uh, you know, sugar and grain is obviously this winning combination. Mm-hmm. But I have seen a few reports about sagging sales as more and more people opt for, you know, either easier or healthier breakfast options. So... Pop-Tarts or avocado toast or, you know, maybe a quick trip to the drive-thru on the way to work. And, mm-hmm. and of course, there's this uh, growing segment of the population that just doesn't eat breakfast, period. 
So when you were listing those easier and healthier options and you said Pop-Tarts, which one of the, I'm guessing that's the easier option there, <laughs> but they are delicious. Well, as big as the cereal industry is today, there's no question that it used to be bigger. So according to NPR, cereal consumption peaked right around 1996, I guess it was, and mm-hmm. has steadily gone downhill ever since, generally by a full percentage point each year. And while the stuff you mentioned has definitely played a part in that decline, it's really due to a combination of factors. You know, for example, back in 1990, lawmakers passed the Nutrition and Labeling Education Act, and that made it mandatory for all products to include the now commonplace list of nutrition facts on the packaging. And this made it easier than ever for consumers to see the nutritional value or lack thereof, I guess. And they could look at this on all of their cereals now at this point, and As more people became educated about just how much sugar and carbs they were eating or feeding to their kids, you know, they started to think twice before tossing a box in the cart whenever they were at the grocery store. So I looked into just how sugary cereal can be, and it's insane. Like, the whole cereal industry uses around 816 million pounds of sugar in its products every year. Wow. And apparently most of that's going into Honey Smacks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. if for some reason you don't know out there, that's the one with the cool frog wearing the backwards baseball cap on the box. I thought you were talking to me for a second. I was like, <laughs> I know Honey Smacks, Mango. Come on. Well, Honey Smacks is uh, consistently ranked the worst cereal for your health because it has less than two grams of fiber per serving, and its ingredients break down to almost 60% sugar. Mm. <laughs> it's tasty. Uh, But according to the Environmental Working Group, there's more sugar in one cup serving of uh, Honey Smacks than there is in a Hostess Twinkie. No way. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) I I know that it's sweet, obviously, and I knew it wasn't good for you. But uh, honestly, like the the taste of Honey Smacks, I wouldn't have guessed it was the most sugary cereal. But it kind of makes my teeth hurt just thinking (laughs) about that. But, you know, that that sugar to fiber ratio might make us cringe. But there's one particular cereal eating demographic that you're not going to hear complaining about this. And that's kids or at least my kids. (laughs) Yeah, my kids, too. Uh, Actually, do you remember um, there was this great Calvin and Hobbes where Calvin's eating his favorite cereal? I I think it's something like uh, chocolate frosted sugar bombs. (laughs) And he gives Hobbes a try and Hobbes just starts shaking, gagging from the sweetness. And Calvin says, Actually, they're kind of bland until you scoop some sugar on them. Right. <laughs> but what I find really interesting is how deeply ingrained the fondness for breakfast cereal is in so many people and how so much of that seems rooted in their childhood. Yeah, I mean, I'd say for most adult cereal eaters, it's a big part of the allure. I mean, it's what you were saying about your kids. There's these, you know, memories of watching Saturday morning cartoons with a big bowl of Cap'n Crunch in your hand or maybe indulging in a late night fix of Lucky Charms sitting in your college dorm room. I don't know who you're talking about. Right, right. (laughs) Well, it's sort of a comfort food in a way. I mean, it takes us back to simpler days when most of us were a little more carefree about what we ate and why. Yeah, so nostalgia is definitely a strong factor. Actually, what are some of the weirdest discontinued cereals you can think of? I I was trying to think about this earlier, and I I remember seeing... A Qbert cereal when I was a kid. Do you remember Qbert? Was I remember that, uh, <laughs> Yeah, that video game character, and and also eating one with Smurf berries. <laughs> like my parents only really bought us sugar cereals for maybe a year or two, but I remember sampling some weird ones. Yeah, I, I mean, I always thought it was completely bonkers that some cereals didn't even mask the fact that they were candy. Like you know, Kellogg's did a candy corn pops, but even more blatant than that, there was a Nerds cereal, <laughs> and yeah. I'm ticked off that I never tried it. <laughs> Nerds cereal. And by the way, listeners, I, I just wanted to break for a second because Will and I have been debating what the official candy of part-time genius should be. And Will was saying it should be uh, atomic fireballs. Obviously. And I was thinking nerds. So uh, if you have any thoughts on this, please let us know on Facebook or Twitter. But 
Well, uh, you're right. Nerd cereal is insane. But looking back, like the box was so cool. It came in these two flavors, just like the candies. And you could pour orange out of one side and cherry out of the other. <laughs> Can you imagine like who would let their kids buy this? Probably me. <laughs> but it also makes me wonder, like, if so much of cereal's appeal is rooted in the past, like what does this say about our future? Well, you know, there's a new generation of kids getting hooked on cereal now and Many of them will stick with it into adulthood, and that's part of the reason there's so many brands duking it out, you know, trying to get kids to eat these cereals is because people's breakfast routines tend to be the same, you know, pretty much every day. Hmm. But there's another point to consider, and, and those declining sales numbers we mentioned earlier also coincide with declining birth rates. So, you know, it, it's not like the birth rate will ever drop to zero or anything like that, but fewer kids does result in fewer cereal fans, obviously. Yeah, it's, it's funny that something that started out as health food became so dependent on selling sugar to kids. But I, I guess that's usually how it goes with food trends. Like someone with these very altruistic intentions gets the ball rolling, hoping to better society. And, and then, you know, at a certain point, the marketing team steps in. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Kellogg used to give lectures about his methods for leading a healthy lifestyle. And he would sometimes give out the recipes for his cornflakes so that people could make them at home. And at one talk, he told the crowd, you may say I'm destroying the health food business here by giving these recipes, but I'm not after the business. I'm after reform. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he really did seem to believe in what he was selling. Sure, but the problem was that the same couldn't be said of his brother, Will Kellogg. And, and Will tried for years to convince his brother to add sugar to their cereal, believing it would add some flavor to what he called horse food. <laughs> but the tipping point came in the late 40s when their competitor, Post Cereals, released Sugar Crisp. So Post had branched out beyond the health food market with its uh, first sugar-coated cereal. And like it or not, Kellogg kind of had to follow suit. Yeah, but it's really post-World War II that the industry started to focus on marketing directly to kids. I mean, co companies had dabbled with these ads before, including Kellogg's use of Snap, Crackle, and Pop as the characters for Rice Krispies, and that marketing began in the 1930s. But even with cartoon gnomes pleading their case, you know, <laughs> these, these highly processed oats and grains were a tough sell without adding something, you know, sweet to it. That's crazy, though. I Like, I had no idea that the Rice Krispies trio had been around that long. I, I thought they were post-50s, like most other cereal mascots. Yeah, Snap, Crackle, and Pop are actually one of the longest-running ad campaigns in history. And as I was looking it up, they're actually the longest for cereal brands. Huh. Actually, by the way, did you know that their names are onomatopoeia sounds for what you hear when milk is added to the cereal? Mm -mm. But uh, apparently Rice Krispies were always marketed as the cereal you can hear. And this was even before the mascots came along. In fact, the guy who created the characters did so after being inspired by one of the brand's previous radio jingles. And because I know you're dying to know what it was, here are the <laughs> lyrics. I jotted them down. So, all right. Listen to the fairy song of help, the merry chorus sung by Kellogg's Rice Krispies as they merrily snap, crackle, and pop in a bowl of milk. If you've never heard food talking, now is your chance. I'm so hungry for a bowl of cereal now. Why didn't we do this before? But also, that was a jingle? Like, it doesn't even rhyme. <laughs> I was I was going to put it to song that I just made up, <laughs> cited against it. So, I mean, obviously mascots were a smart move since it's hard to market like a fairy song of health without them. But wasn't there also a fourth gnome for a while? Yeah, you bet there was. Pow! You know, <laughs> he, he stood for the cereal's nutritional punch, I think. And of course, he didn't last very long. But let's get this back on track. So uh, gradually, the Sweden cereals come to dominate.
dominate the market thanks, you know, because of product placement and children's programming. And they've never looked back since. In, in fact, the breakfast cereal industry is still one of the top spenders for a commercial airtime. More than a million cereal ads air on TV each year, which costs companies like Post and Kellogg's more than, I, I want to say, like half a billion dollars. Yeah, well, so so all those old TV ads are a big part of why cold cereal took such a hold in the hearts and minds of baby boomers. And then they, of course, passed on that fondness to their now adult children. But, you know, there's another element that helped endear entire generations to breakfast cereal that, that I want to talk about. And, and that's the prizes that came packed inside those boxes. Oh, that, I mean, the prizes played such a big role. Like, I might have wanted a box of cookie crisp, but if the Apple Jacks had one of those wacky wall walkers in it, I mean, you remember those sticky octopuses that would walk down the walls? Of course. Yeah, and then, of course, that's the box I'd end up with. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that. Actually, I would buy a box of cereal for one of those now. It's been years <laughs> since I played with one. They were awesome. But, you know, let's talk a little bit about how toys and games ended up inside the boxes, as well as some of the coolest and strangest ones that come along over the years. But before we do that, let's break for a quiz. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit slash hypergig for details. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
got Gabe Fonseca on the program. Now, Gabe's an accomplished TV writer, but he's also got the best unboxing series on YouTube. It's called Serial Time TV, and this is where he unboxes and reviews incredible breakfast cereals. Welcome to Part-Time Genius, Gabe. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm a fan of the podcast, so I'm honored to be on the show. Thank you so much. Now, I know you're out in Los Angeles. Mangesh is actually on vacation today. He's out on your coast in Portland, so he sends his best, but uh, but I hope you're still willing to chat with me today. Of course, of course. All right. Now, so Gabe, we've read that you have over 300 cereal boxes in your collection, and, and I have to ask, like, how did you get into this in the first place, and what are some of your more prized cereal boxes? You know, I've always been a collector, and I think at one point I saw old Spider-Man cereal. I think that was my first box. Um, it was from, like, 1995, that cereal, and I, I saw it on eBay when I was just browsing, and uh, I was like, oh, that'd be cool to have on my bookshelf. And I bought it, and then uh, and then I was like, well, you know, what, what are some other ones that I remember from back in the day? And, and then it kind of just turned into this black hole on eBay where I just was... was scouring and finding old cereals that, that brought back these nostalgic memories to me. Wow, wow. Now, I, I think I've read that you've tried some, even some like 30-year-old cereals. Is this right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I first started this unboxing channel on YouTube, and I, I started it because I started to run out of room of just having these unopened cereal boxes on my shelf, and it was like, you know, this is just taking up space, and this is kind of silly. I could just flatten them out. So I uh, I decided, like, well, let's for posterity, let's just record myself opening these boxes and, and you know, recording what the cereal looks like and documenting it, so I'll have it, you know, for posterity. And uh, and I never thought I was, like, going to try them, and then I'd open some boxes, and uh, I'd be like, well, let me just see if it holds up. Uh, I think the oldest one I might have tried was uh, a Grin Smiles Giggles and Laughs cereal, which was from the 70s, I believe. Oh, and it was pretty gross, I'm guessing. Oh, man, they're terrible. They just don't, you know, it tastes mostly like, it tastes like the plastic in a way. It tastes right. very toxic and, and disgusting. But I would, I definitely do not recommend it. Oh, I can't imagine. Now, in, in terms of cereals, are there any that you wish you could have tasted if you could go back in time? Yeah, absolutely. There's one from uh, before my time in the 70s called Sir Grape Fellow. It was actually, um, they released Sir Grape Fellow and Baron Von Redberry. They were General Mills cereals. And uh, the Sir Grape Fellow one tasted like, you know, grape, uh, grape cereal or grape Kool-Aid, I imagine. I never actually got to try it, but... I'm a I'm a sucker for grape flavored things and uh and even though I got uh nerd cereal which came out in the eighties which I which I got to try back back then, I, I it just wasn't the same. Uh <laughs> you know, wasn't it wasn't that great grape flavor. It was kinda of, it wasn't a great cereal. And so Grape Fell it just is like I look at the ad campaigns I see on YouTube and I'm just like this this was like uh this is great. I really wish I was alive for this one. I could I could try that one. Yeah, yeah. Now, how about any boxes you'd love to add to your collection but haven't been able to get a hold of? For me, I, I kind of, at this point, I feel like I'm at peace and I've kind of completed my collection and kind of everything I want. There is <laughs> one uh, really random cereal from General Mills in the 90s. Uh, it was called Buñuelitos, and I remember it. It was on shelves for a limited time, and I just can't find a box of that anywhere. Mm. And that's probably like the last, you know, my great, you know, white whale that I'm trying to obtain still. <laughs> I don't know, Gabe. I'm hearing in your voice that maybe you're not quite at peace yet until you find that. So if uh, <laughs> yeah. if if, yeah. Uh, if any of our listeners out there know how to get a hold of some, did you say Buñuelitos? Yes. Uh, yeah. All right. We'll see what we can do for you. So there'll be a. <laughs> A free part-time genius T-shirt on the line for these people, but uh, but before we let you go, Mango did leave me a uh, a quiz titled "The Most Important Meal Quiz of the Day." So I'm going to ask you a few questions, a few obscure cereal questions, and all you got to do is answer them. How's that sound? 
All right, I'll, I'll give it my best. All right, question number one. According to a 1956 Confidential Magazine report, what breakfast cereal was supposedly responsible for Frank Sinatra's success with women? It's got to be Wheaties. It is Wheaties, yeah. The article claimed that Sinatra could thank Wheaties for his reputation as the, quote, Tarzan of the boudoir. So, <laughs> yes, congratulations there. All right, one for one. Question number two. Before a certain tiger became spokes animal for this breakfast cereal, he had to beat out three other contenders. Elmo the elephant, Newt the new, and Katie the kangaroo. What cereal are we talking about? Frosted Flakes. That's right. It's Frosted Flakes. Now, Katie actually appeared on boxes in the 1950s before Tony the Tiger started outselling her. All right, here we go. Question number three. What popular breakfast cereal created by John Harvey Kellogg was eaten aboard the Apollo 11? Rice Krispies? It's a pretty good guess. It was actually Kellogg's Corn Flakes, and so Uh. the cereal was mixed up with fruit and formed into cubes since eating it with milk was impossible without gravity. All right, two for three. The last question here, the big prize, is on the line. While Saddam Hussein loved Raisin Bran and requested it for breakfast in prison, he detested this cereal. Oh, I actually read the the article about that, uh, Fruit Loops. Yes, it is Fruit Loops. And according to U.S. soldiers, one of the few times he actually looked defeated in prison was when a bowl of the fruity cereal was brought to him. <laughs> but uh, So congratulations. You got three out of four, which qualifies you for our top prize, which is a note to your mom or your boss singing your praises. So, Gabe, congratulations, <laughs> and thanks so much for joining us on Part-Time Genius. Well, thanks for having me, Will. It's, been, it's great. Thank you very much. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX Anniversary Sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. 
Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. You're listening to Part-Time Genius, and we're talking about the heyday of breakfast cereal. You know, when kids became the target market and nutrition kind of took a backseat to things like marshmallows and prizes. And, you know, speaking of cereal box prizes, you know, those were another way that Kellogg's tried to attract kids to cereal in the pre-sugar days. And 1943, the company started putting pin-back buttons inside boxes of their pep cereal. So they started with a series of 36 pins that featured World War II squadron insignia from the U.S. military. And this was before switching over to fictional heroes like comic book characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so those are some of the earliest in-box prizes we know about. But if we're talking buttons, my favorites are the Urkel for President campaign buttons they were giving out during the Clinton-Bush senior campaign. Do you remember those? Are you talking Steve Urkel Uh from Family Matters? (laughs) I can't say I remember him running for president, but what what cereal was that? Urkelos. Of course. It was one of those short-lived novelty cereals that crops up for a few months and then disappears. Like, basically, it was a sweeter version of Cheerios, but wackier with uh, (laughs) banana and strawberry flavors. But uh, obviously, we're getting ahead of ourselves with all these in-the-box buttons because Kellogg's actually got into the prize game long before that. In the earlier days, the prizes, or premiums as they're called in the industry, weren't in the box at all. And as far as we know, the first prize used to market cereal was this 1909 children's book. It was called the Funny Jungle Land Moving Pictures book, and it was given to customers who bought two boxes of Kellogg's cornflakes at their participating grocery stores. After a couple of years, of course, Kellogg's decided to stop handing out the books on location and instead offered them as mail-in offer. And within four years, the company had distributed 2.5 million copies of the book. Wow. Isn't that insane? Like, it was obviously a hit with customers, so Kellogg's kept releasing new editions, and they kept going on with Jungle Land books all the way up until 1937. I mean, I guess that's pretty cool, but I have to say I was never a fan of those mail-in prizes. I mean, I was all about the instant gratification. You don't want to dig in there, like get elbow deep in some <laughs> Cocoa Puffs or something, and then just be able to like fish around and find that cellophane bag. Yeah, and then you got to eat the cereal dust off your arm. But right. uh, those were definitely the days. But I never really minded the mail-ins. Like, I, I think it was partly the joy of receiving any kind of mail as a kid. The fact that anyone was sending me anything was exciting enough even if I had to save up like a bunch of box tops and wait six to eight weeks to make it happen. Though that was mostly dying out by the time we were kids. I I only remember doing it a few times. But you know, the the real reason the cereal industry stepped up its game and and the prize game specifically in the 1950s is, is pretty interesting. And it's, it's thanks to this invention of what was called the screw injection molding machine. And, and, and that's what made plastic prizes faster and cheaper to produce. And this wasn't the only time the inventor of injection molding, his name was James Watson Henry, would lend a hand to cereal prizes. So in the 1970s, Henry's developed the first gas-assisted injection molding process. 
And this is what made it possible to produce these finely detailed, hollow plastic objects. You know, the ones that environmental groups love so much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This cut cost even more and paved the way to a golden age of these in-box cereal prizes. That explains why so many of the cool prizes I found were from the 60s and 70s. And and of course, I'd be remiss if we didn't uh, mention the bosun's whistle that came inside the box of Cap'n Crunch in the early 70s. Oh, if we're talking about things we'd be remiss not mentioning about Cap'n Crunch, what about Jean Lefoot, which was Cap'n... <laughs> Captain Crunch's stinky barefooted rival. But anyway, go on with your whistle story. Well, uh, obviously the whistle is this like really high-pitched little whistle. And the bosun's whistle was one that was historically used on naval ships when commanders needed to pass orders to the crew, but couldn't be heard because of the waves or weather or whatever. And these days it's mostly used in naval ceremonies. But in Captain Crunch's case, it turned out that when you covered one of the whistle's holes in blue... It produced this frequency of 2,600 hertz, which was the exact tone AT&T used to control its long-distance lines. And basically, this legendary hacker, John Thomas Draper, who was also known as Captain Crunch or Crunch or Crunchman, he learned that he could use one of the whistles to hack the phone system and get free long-distance calls. I love that they figured that out. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's why that old hacking magazine was actually called 2600, and then why Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak even tracked down the whistle and built a box that rep- replicated the frequency to try and prank call the Pope. (laughs) I love that. I also love that they pretended to be Henry Kissinger, and (laughs) it almost got there until this, like, suspicious bishop caught on. Like, and, and then the Pope didn't get on the line. Oh, those pesky bishops. And, <laughs> you know, while injection molding allowed for all kinds of awesome plastic toys, you know, some of the funniest ones I came across were actually even like metal or some of them even paper. Hmm. So like in 1954, Wheaties gave away these miniature state license plates and they were made of solid steel. And you got one in each box, but you could also buy them in four sets of 12 by mailing in a box top and a quarter, <laughs> a whopping quarter. And that the only hitch to this was that Alaska and Hawaii had not yet become states, so there were actually only 48 plates in all. Oh, man. So do you think people were, like, pissed when those two states got statehood a few years later and suddenly their collections were incomplete? Well, actually, Post Serials did release a set of, of the full 50 later on, but apparently Weedy still gets letters about the original campaign to this day. <laughs> so maybe there's still a few determined fans out there just pestering them about their missing plates or something. I hope so. But uh, one of the most unique prizes I read about was this uh, paper prize. It was a deed to one inch of land in the Yukon. Wait, are you serious? So, like, a cereal company was giving away land by the inch? (laughs) Yeah, it's a great idea, right? So, Quaker Oats sponsored a show in the 50s called Sergeant Preston of the Yukon. You remember Sergeant Preston of the Yukon. And this was their way of linking the show to the product. And full disclosure, this was a mail-in prize, but this one was totally worth the wait. So, for just a single box top, kids would receive a deed for one square inch of the 19 acres of Yukon territory that Quaker had purchased. And they'd actually purchased this from the Canadian government government for $1,000. Hmm. The promotion was this massive success, and Quaker actually sent out more than 21 million deeds in just a few no weeks. No way. Yeah, and then lots of people would write the company or even the Canadian government from time to time to check in on their property, but sadly, the reply was not good news. Uh, apparently, none of the deed holders were actually landowners because the individual deeds were never formally registered after the recipient signed them. Oh, it's devastating. I know, and in the end, Canada repossessed all the land in 1965, due to non-payment of, get this, 
$37.20 in property taxes. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I, know. I mean, it, it also reminds me of the time during the 80s when General Mills started giving out actual $1 bills as prizes and boxes of Cheerios. <laughs> which, it just sounds kind of like lazy. Like, let's let's just put a dollar in there. And, except in this case, the prize was actually worth something. Yeah, and it's way better than the promotion Cheerios offered in the 50s when they gave away color reproductions of Confederate money and an album to keep them in. Oh, that's so strange. I actually, I think I'd rather have the phony deed than have <laughs> But we, we sort of transitioned into these more lackluster, I don't know, dare I say, like crappy prizes. But honestly, at least they're still prizes. And, and much like cereal sales, cereal premiums seem to be on the decline these days. Yeah, so I, I noticed the last time I was in cereal aisles, there seemed to be fewer boxes advertising physical prizes. But there were a bunch of boxes offering some kind of digital prize, like access to an online video game. And I, I guess cereal premiums changed to reflect the times. And, and most kids these days would prefer some type of like instant online entertainment over a plastic figure. But I also read a report from uh, the Center for Science in the Public Interest, and it determined that it was far cheaper to make an online game than to produce a traditional plastic premium. And that definitely figures into the decision to scale back the physical prizes. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and not to mention that there have been a few safety scares that led to recalls on millions and millions of these plastic prizes that were deemed choking hazards. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the reason prizes were moved from the inside of the cereal bag itself to between the bag and the box lining. This happened in the early 90s. As, you know, cereal companies saw that this was kind of a risk or a great risk if kids accidentally started gobbling up these prizes. It's it's funny because Cracker Jack went through like a similar adjustment with the prizes inside their boxes and concerns about safety and rising cost of production nixed anything but paper prizes, whereas they used to have really cool stuff in there like decoder rings and tin soldiers mixed in and... And since Cracker Jack was the first food to actually offer box prizes way back in 1912, it kind of seems fitting that cereal premiums would follow suit. Yeah, I mean, that's true, but 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 all's not lost for these in-the-box cereal prizes. I mean, there's still some physical knickknacks sprinkled in there, but most of these are just tie-in with usually like big media events or maybe movie releases. You know, the new Star Wars movie had some of these accompany that. And mm-hmm. besides, there's another cereal philosophy that suggests it's what's on the outside of the box that matters, not the inside. <laughs> Okay, Mango, so we've covered the actual cereal, as well as the cool prizes that you find inside the bag or just outside it. So how about we conclude our anatomical tour of the cereal box by focusing on the box itself? Yeah, that sounds good. So I'll start us off with a little cereal box psychology. Back in 2014, researchers from the Cornell Food and Brand Lab studied 86 different cereal box mascots in 10 grocery stores throughout New York and Connecticut. And from this whirlwind tour, they found that uh, boxes are strategically positioned to make eye contact with children. On average, the kid-targeted cereal boxes are placed on the lower shelves, usually at a height of 23 inches, while adult-aimed cereals tend to sit higher at 48-inch shelves. And uh, to capitalize on this ideal, like the mascots on the kids' cereal boxes tend to feature mascots with eyes pointing downward at an average angle of 9.6 degrees, but the spokes characters on boxes of adult cereal generally look straight ahead. Wow, that's almost kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so both the manufacturer and the retailer in on this scheme, and, and, and they want it to make eye contact with their target markets. But mm-hmm. So why is that? I mean, I, I understand wanting your product as visible as possible so it attracts more attention, but why does making eye contact with the character or the spokesperson matter that much? 
Yeah, well, that was the question behind a second study where researchers looked into how much eye contact with cereal box characters influences people's feelings towards a brand. And they asked 63 participants from a private Northeastern University to examine a box of Trix cereal and rate their feelings of trust and connection to the brand. And the catch was that some participants were given a box where the Trix rabbit was looking straight ahead and others had this box where the rabbit was looking away or down from the viewer. And I'm guessing people preferred, you know, whichever rabbit was looking their way or what? Uh, yeah, but by a wide margin, it's really incredible. So the findings showed that participants who had eye contact with the rabbit felt 16% more brand trust from Gosh. a silly rabbit. And their feeling of connection to the brand was 28% higher than participants who looked at a box of tricks with the rabbit looking away. And not only that, but participants who made eye contact with the rabbit actually said they enjoyed the cereal more compared with another cereal that lacked eye contact component. No way. I mean, that's so creepy. Like, it's it's also nuts that looking at a picture of a cartoon rabbit in the eyes can generate so much goodwill <laughs> and actually cause us to buy the product. And, and the fact that they chose this crazy rabbit that it works is just baffling. <laughs> yeah, but there, there is an upside to the research because now healthy cereals that are well-intentioned can actually make mascots that do the same thing. Yeah, but, you know, I don't want to leave this subject of tricks because actually I found some interesting stuff uh, during our research here. So, for instance, did you know that before he was an animated character, the Trix rabbit was this really, like, janky-looking hand puppet? <laughs> and I guess General Mills, it was, you know, they were unsure early on of how to sell the concept of a cereal-obsessed rabbit because, you know, the original slogan for the cereal was, I'm a rabbit, and rabbits are supposed to like carrots, but I hate carrots. I like tricks. Yeah, that really rolls off the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> and it also makes the whole silly rabbit tricks are for kids campaign sound like poetry. Yeah, but that campaign had problems of its own. I mean, for one thing, it made General Mills worry that they were sending a bad message, you know, by having this rabbit continually fail to achieve his goal. <laughs> You know, but where Charles Schultz concluded that Charlie Brown missing the football was what made the whole thing work, General Mills took the more democratic round. In 1976, they put this question to a vote. Should the Trix rabbit finally get to eat the cereal he craves? And kids also turned out to be more merciful than Schultz. So almost 100% of the votes were in favor of giving the rabbit his long-awaited bowl. <laughs> and that same verdict came again during a campaign, I think it was in 1980, which was the last time the rabbit got his own bowl of tricks. That's been a long time. I mean, you can tell why he's jonesing for a bowl. No kidding. I mean, so these cereal mascots tend to break down into two camps. So there's the more laid-back, confident, relaxed characters like Tony the Tiger or the <laughs> Golden Crisp Bear. And they mostly sell cereal on the basis of their friendly demeanor and cool look. I mean, how cool is Tony? I, I know, bandana, jacket, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you know, and then there's these unhinged cereal junkies who look like they just, <laughs> I don't know, like busted out of the loony bin. So these are your Trix Rabbits and Sonny the Cuckoo Bird and like all of these crazy characters. <laughs> yeah, those guys are pretty terrifying. And, and most of their designs have only gotten more over the top as time's gone by. What do you mean by that? So Toucan Sam used to have the proportions of an actual bird, but, you know, his body shape, wings, and feet have slowly become more human-like. And, and the colors, too, like, they're all super exaggerated and brighter and bolder, and it's crazy. And actually, have you seen Captain Crunch's latest look? Like, he used to be this old, weary sea captain, but now he has these huge popping eyes and wide grin, and <laughs> even his eyebrows have gotten more excited. Like, they're way up over his hat now. <laughs> his hat has eyebrows. <laughs> oh, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, there's always been something suspect about that guy anyway, <laughs> if we're being honest. Did you hear the controversy a few years back? Somebody had noticed that the sleeves of his uniform only had three yellow stripes instead of four. I love that people were paying <laughs> this close attention to it. But apparently that pegs him as a commander in the Navy, not a captain. So to his credit, when fans called him out, Crunch took to Twitter to plead his case. And so here's what he said. All hearsay and misunderstandings. I captain the SS Guppy with my crew, which makes an official captain in my book. Besides, it's the crunch, not the clothes, that make a man. <laughs> that almost gives me goosebumps. I know. So good. It's a great speech. But uh, it's always been my belief that the facts make the men. So I, I think it's time for a little fact off. All right, let's do it. I'll go first here. So, um, all right. So speaking of Captain Crunch, did did you know that in 2009, a woman in California filed a class action suit against the maker of Captain Crunch's Crunch Berries? And she did this because she said for four long years, she'd been eating these Crunch Berries and thinking they were real fruit. (laughs) I mean, you know, you've got strawberries and blueberries, raspberries, and of course, Crunch Berries. But of course, the judge in Sacramento did not see it her way and quickly dismissed the suit. So uh, according to one study commissioned by Kellogg, more than 10% of Americans had tried eating cereal with orange juice or coffee instead of milk. I mean, is that true? Like, have you ever done that before? I have never done that before. <laughs> that would ruin a bowl of cereal, have you? I know. No, absolutely not. Wow. All right. Well, according to a different study, women who regularly ate cereal before conception are slightly more likely to have boys. There's something about having a high energy intake before conceiving that leads to these greater odds. And the food that seemed to increase the odds the most was cereal. That's crazy. So you're an oatmeal eater, right, Will? I mean, sometimes, yeah. Yeah, well, did did you know that the, quote, strawberries and peaches in Quaker Instant Oatmeal are actually dehydrated apples? I didn't know that. And the blueberries are dehydrated figs. And for Quaker's sake, I I hope that uh, the Crunchberry lady doesn't find out. But at least they're real fruits. That's true. They're real fruits, yeah, unlike the Crunchberry. So, (laughs) well, as kids, we always heard that we should eat a good breakfast anytime we need to do anything important that day. And studies do back that up, often showing that breakfast eaters will perform about 10% better on memory tests than those who skipped. But it also appears that eating not just breakfast, but specifically cereal, leads to a better mood. So according to research from Bristol University, there are long-term effects of eating cereal for breakfast. And their findings, quote, people feel better. Cereals boosted their mood. (laughs) So, I mean, that's just the kind of support we needed as cereal eaters. And what a happy way to end this episode. I'm going to let you take home the trophy this week. And listeners, if there are any great cereal facts we forgot, please let us know. You can always write us at parttimegenius at howstuffworks.com or call us on our 24-7 fact hotline, 1-844-PT-GENIUS. You know we love hearing from you. Well, and don't forget to join us again next week when we publish episodes asking the questions, how big is the U.S. military and what are the worst jobs in the world, including a peek into the important world of whale snot collecting. That's going to be pretty interesting. Are you sure that's right, Mango? Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, that's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. (laughs) Jerry Rowland does the exec producer thing. 
Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eve Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Did we, did we forget Jason? Jason who? If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.